everybody tuning in to this episode of Money Talks, AltFi's new monthly webinar series for 2022. My name is Daniel Lanyon, Editorial Director of AltFi. This show will also be available as a podcast. And if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, click the link in attachments at the bottom of your screen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can, of course, catch up with earlier episodes in the series there too, including a deep dive into the birth of open banking, the impact of the pandemic on alternative lending, and a forecast from the start of the year on fintech's hottest trends for the year. Here, of course, live on Bright Talk, you can ask our speakers questions. So please do so by popping them in the box below. Uh, we'll be getting to those towards the end of the show. We've also got some very exciting episodes um, coming up, uh, including an examination of whether buy now, pay later is sustainable, a reflection on where the neo-banking boom is at as it nears a decade of digital disruption. You can register for these episodes or any of our 2022 Money Talk series right now through Bright Talk. And if you're a podcast subscriber, they will also magically appear on your smartphone. So today we're asking if Challenger credit cards can finally break through. And I have three special guests for today um, who should, I'm hoping, make the case for a categorical yes to this question. So we have uh, Zara Woods, Chief Operating Officer of um, Yaya Finance. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, a Challenger credit card that recently raised £120 million from a consortium of private equity giants led by KKR and TDR. And also, it notably acquired the Bank of Ireland's UK credit card book in cash for just over £500 million three years ago. Uh, Zara joined in 2019 from a, from a career at Barclays Bank and Barclay Card. Um, hi there, Zara. How are you and uh, how's, things, how's things going? I'm good, thanks. Great to be here. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. And where are you joining us from today? Uh, from the sunny north of my home. Excellent stuff. Uh, also joining me is Camilla Baker, Head of Product at Cash Plus, a newly minted neobank that actually launched as an alternative lender, both for SMEs and consumers back in 2005. Hi there, Camilla. How are you? And uh, where are you joining us from? Hi, I'm great, thank you. Um, joining from my home in London, um, South East London, so uh, looking forward to the panel today. Excellent stuff. Lastly, but not least, we have Ash Bart, founder and CEO of a new challenger credit card, Pillar, which just last month raised a £13 million pre-seed round. Uh, Ash is Revolut's former head of lending. Um, Ash, how are you and where are you joining us from today? Very good, thanks, Dan. I'm the only one here, I think, joining from work, so I'm at a WeWork right now in London. Good stuff. Well, look, let's get cracking with the main discussion. I want to set the scene um, just very briefly first uh, with a thesis. So credit cards have lagged behind the digital disruption seen in fintech in the past five or ten years and still suffer from a legacy image problem. Uh, at the same time, the buy now, pay later space has exploded in interest owing to a view that it is an existential threat to credit cards. But I think it's fair to say the challenger credit card race is heating up with the potential for some very interesting innovation. Uh, we, we did ask this question actually last week 
at Altfi's Festival of Finance. Um, but I want to know from each of our panelists, uh, what what do you think is driving uh, this sort of challenger credit card renaissance? Um, Camilla, why don't I start with you? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I think there are many factors at play. Obviously, um, I think there are there are two I'd call out. So um, probably a few of you have read um, a report that came out recently um, from Totally Money and PwC, and that was stating there are 20 million underserved consumers in the UK, and that that number is growing. Um, so consumers are quite poorly served by the incumbents in terms of limited options available, as well as some of the products not meeting their needs and expectations kind of in this digital age that we're in today. Um, and I think that just creates an opportunity for the new entrants. Um, and that's part of the reason we're seeing some of those um, challenges and that disruption. Um, the, the second thing I think is, as you've kind of alluded to, that growth in challenger brands and neobanks in the current account space. And I think that's supported from consumers' greater acceptance of digital brands in the wider financial services space. And in turn, that's kind of lowered one of the barriers to entry for um, new brands and, and the new credit card brands that we're seeing coming through. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Zara, same question to you. Um, what do you think is driving this sort of challenger credit card renaissance? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is about needs and, and wants actually so the pandemic itself was uh, a great inflection point in terms of you know, really driving the need for digital servicing so digital servicing was a trend before but the pandemic really drove home how important it was for that to be at the core of the proposition um, so you know this is where I think challenger credit cards especially a, a primely place to deliver on that because we're much more agile and nimble than, than some of the current incumbents you know, couple that with a really healthy investment market as well. So, you know, you've already referenced that we've just procured 120 million pounds investment. You know, we're focusing that absolutely on growing our team and growing our products and services. That's going to make a really exciting set of products and services for our customers. Okay, very, very interesting indeed. Ash, um, I'd like to come to you next. Um, what do you think is, is driving the, the challenger credit card renaissance? And could you maybe just also, um, you know, tell us why, you know, and I guess it's an extension of that question, you know, why you, why you saw sort of now fit to, to really launch into this space? Yeah, I mean, apart from what um, Camilla and Sarah said, um, I would like to add the biggest one being the removal of technical hurdles, right? Uh, by which I mean the barrier to entry in a credit card venture uh, from scratch uh, largely been two, which is tech. Uh, how do you get access to tech? You know, there are huge giants who rule the credit card world, like Tesis, Pfizer, you've got the three, the oligopoly, the famous oligopoly of the three credit bureaus. Um, so getting heard and getting stuff done by them and from them is hard it's very hard um you know i won't name but one of the providers and i'm sure zara and i have had an experience at barclay card one change request takes two hundred thousand pounds and six months to deliver right? so that used to happen now the world has changed now you've got amazing companies like uh, rails bank marketa infuse you know brilliant processors and bin providers so i think that technical legacy hurdle has been taken away which is amazing for us, you know, we are a team of 12 people and I bet you we'll launch a credit card with 12 people, which is amazing, right? And I think doubling down on Zara's point of capital. So the second biggest hurdle for a credit card industry is capital because it is capital intensive. 
uh, and thanks to the liquidity recent liquidity in the uh, industry it has put the gas in the tank for innovation so you've got the perfect combination of tech meeting money and you've got you know an amazing crowd who have done this before coming together and let's let's disrupt the market okay a, a very very neat way of putting it um i want you to just go back to actually something camilla you you said about about this sort of huge um segment of underserved uh customers um why, why you know well how do you think that these people are being underserved and you know could you maybe just drill into that a little bit um and i guess what um you at cash plus are, are looking to do differently um yeah sure so i mean i think um i, I touched on it before but there um one of the segments that i'll refer to is that kind of near prime segment um and the traditional providers um do have a much more limited offering in that area with quite rigid products and um, so in that space um cash plus has built models um um on those segments over quite a long period of time so um, we're kind of bringing the benefit of that long historical data that we've built with the test and learn approach um, and that's helped us to develop um, those sustainable underwriting strategies um, but yeah I, I do think we've definitely seen um, the kind of bigger players pull away from from that segment and so um, that's part of the reason that segment is underserved I would say. Okay really, really interesting um, I guess my own experience with credit cards and I'm, I'm not really a, a super regular credit card user but I've tried out lots of challenges and you know I've, I've, I've various times um, used I guess the, the traditional players um, you know I won't I won't name names but they've all been pretty shocking <laughs> but um, one of the things that has really sort of bugged me is just the just the user experience or the um, the customer experience I guess as well um, so you know not being able to see all of my historic transactions for example you know or I don't know, just just not getting a, an easy way to question or query things or or, or set payment dates or etc. Um, Zara, perhaps just just also looking at this idea of, of the market currently being underserved, um, could you maybe give us a sense of what what you're doing differently, and also what you know what to what extent is is user experience uh, um, an area to kind of uh, to play in? Yeah, so I, I think it, it's huge, right, and a massive focus for us. So, um, you know, right now we've got a good level of digital servicing, but the, the next chapter for us is absolutely to build out further functionality and services via digital servicing. You know, our whole ethos is about putting the power in the customer's hand to do what they need to do when they need to do it, no matter where they are. So, you know, we want customers to be fully digitally enabled and, and not needing to call call centers or wait for long offline processes. Um, so we're going to see some rapid advancement of our functionality, especially with this new funding. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's really what customers want, you know, who wants to wait on the phone or um, have to go through something that just is not intuitive. You want it to be quick, simple and easy. And, and that's absolutely what we're going to bring to the table. Interesting. Um, Ash, I'd like to hear a bit more about what what Pillar is doing differently. And, and maybe if you could just tell us almost um, an overview of the model, because uh, it's a little bit different, isn't it, to to you know many traditional credit cards. Absolutely. Um, I think the you know the model is pretty simple, which is like Zara said, giving the power back to the customer. Uh, what we are trying to 
break down other data silos which exist globally, right? I mean, Zara in the UK or Camilla in, in US is different from Camilla in Australia and Zara in US, right? So why does that exist? And you have to ask yourself why if WhatsApp, Facebook, LinkedIn, Revolut, Robinhood, you know, all see Ash in UK as Ash in UK and I'm the same Ash if I go to US, um, you know, why don't the credit systems do the same? One. Second, you know, it's it's the same performance that you'd expect from Ash. And if anything, if Ash moves to US, I'll probably move for better financial outcomes because I'm raising a bigger round, right? So uh, it just doesn't make sense, right? Uh, there are data silos which exist. There is a data disparity which needs to be broken down. Uh, and again, thanks to the technology that now we are getting into, uh, all of this is possible, right? Uh, so yeah, our whole mantra is give the power back to the customer and i think the first tip there is information you know show them what the data is held at at the algopoly right uh, empower them to make the right decisions and empowerment is pretty simple right um how many of us know what's the interest rate on mortgage you're paying very hard right you signed the contract two years back you're due for renewal three years from now you can't, right? Second, how many of us know how to calculate APR? You can't. Uh, it's it is hard. Um, I'm surprised by how complicated we have made it to the customer in the uh, uh, in the ambition of making it simple for them, right? Uh, so yeah, it's basically those two elements that we're doubling down on, which is give the power back to the customer and educate them while they're making the right decisions. Okay, very, very interesting. Um, I, I remember when we spoke first, um, you know, we, we obviously wrote up your, your recent funding round. Um, you know, it was a, a few weeks back now. Um, you gave this great story about how, I guess, you know, when you first arrived in London, um, it, you know, can you just maybe tell us a bit about that and, and like where the idea, I guess, came from, from Pillar? Absolutely. Uh, I think the first day I arrived in London, it was pretty eventful. Um, it was 7th of Feb and Zara would probably remember it very clearly because Zara was at Barclays and I was at Goldfish Bank. And Goldfish used to be a discovered portfolio. And fortunately or unfortunately... And, and sorry, it, was, it was 2008, I believe, wasn't it? Is that, is it that was, right? yes. Yeah. It was fe February 2008. 7th of Feb uh, was my date of export. Um, so, uh, yeah, I landed and uh, it's a funny story. Um I got made redundant the day I joined, which is great, right? Uh, but what happened was Barclay Card took over the Goldfish portfolio. So that was the funny bit. The reality bites when, you know, you're walking towards the Barclay Card office um, and you want an iPhone and you apply for it and you don't get one. Well, I'm doing a reasonable job. And more importantly, I'm doing a regulated job. So I probably will never afford a default on my credit profile because, you know, I can't, launch the business that I'm launching. So, but the computer said no at Carphone Warehouse, which used to be a thing back then, right? Which is showing my age actually. Um, so there you go, you know, uh, perfect access to credit back home in India, doing a reasonable job in UK, but the data systems say no. So yeah, that needs to be solved. Okay, great. Now, look, I, I alluded to, to buy now, pay later. I, I really want to just come to it um, straight away um, I'm sure we'll get some questions later on. Um, so it seems to be good just to, to address the elephant in the room. Um, I, I, I think it's fair to say it's been, you know, maybe barring crypto, the hottest part of the fintech space for, let's say, the last two, two maybe three years. Um, what is your sense, uh, Zara, about 
about buy now, pay later? Um, and how do you see it playing out in relation to competition to credit cards? Sure. I mean, obviously a hugely successful product, right? I think customers, again, have been excited and engaged with a very simple form of, of lending, um, you know, an easy way to spread payments as part of that shopping experience. So, you know, hugely popular. Um, and therefore, I think it's absolutely, you know, here to stay. I think the, the hot topic related to, it, uh, you know, clearly is the affordability assessment up to scratch. Do customers really fully understand what they're getting into with buy now, pay later? Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the market is evolving. You know, it was great to see Klarna's news yesterday that they're going to be sharing data with credit reference agencies. I think that's hugely helpful to help customers to build their credit records and also for us as an industry to ensure that, you know, we can all lend responsibly, you know. So I think it's here to stay. It's going to keep evolving. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's... Um, it's directly competitive in some ways to credit cards, but credit cards are also very well established, used for so many other things where buy now, pay later just doesn't apply. So I, I think the space for, for both of those products in the lending market. Okay, very, very interesting. Um, Camilla, for yourself at Cash Plus, you, you, you guys have obviously been operating, as I said, since 2005. Um, you must have really seen the, the explosion of, of buy now, pay later. To what extent do you, do you do you guys see it competing with, um, I guess yeah, yourselves, um, and and you know like what, what do you think will be the the ultimate sort of play out between it and cha and challenger credit cards? Um, so I mean I totally agree with everything um, Zara said, and and I think that buy now pay later and credit cards, while there is some competition, I think there is a, a differentiation, and um, I don't think that that would ever take over from credit cards or replace credit cards um, and it is still quite a small segment of the market um, I think it will be really interesting though to see what happens um, with the regulation in that buy now pay later um, area and, and what impact that has so if there are credit checks and affordability required obviously that's going to disrupt the customer journey significantly um, where today it's quite seamless it's going to add a lot of friction um, and also what's already happening with the reporting um, of um, the credit uh, the credit reporting um, if that has negative impact on consumers um, credit scores then um, that could reduce the desirability um, I mean I don't think it's going to go away at all um, but I just think those factors will um, will make a difference in terms of um, maybe just slowing um, the kind of growth of it um, yeah so there's obviously a customer need and then it is filling a customer need I don't think it's replacing credit cards which have um, absolutely got that flexibility to be used across retailers in different scenarios um, where buy now, pay later is slightly more limited in that sense. Okay, really interesting. So potentially um, we're into a period of, of, of slowing growth and I think, it, you know, I don't have the exact numbers um, to hand, but I think it's fair to say the the sort of share of the market, at least here in the UK, is, is you know, single digits compared to credit cards. Um, so, you know, it can it can grow, I guess, you know, a super high rate, but from that low base, it's still going to be, um, you know, a a, um, a relatively smaller part, at least for a for a few years, and, and smaller growth obviously would would mean even less so. Um, Ash, how do you how do you see buy now pay later? Obviously, you're starting with a with a pretty blank, um, 
I guess sheet of paper when you're when you're coming up with your with your proposition. I guess you're you're probably very busy building now. Um, do you you know did you consider just doing a buy now pay later? Um, I guess focused startup or you know what 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 are your thoughts on how it fits in or competes with Pillar? I think there's no denying the fact that BNPL will take balances and purchases away from credit card. I mean that's happening, right? It's already happening. Um, but there is ample of space, first of all. Secondly, uh, I think my biggest concern with BNPL is sustainability. Is it sustainable, right? Um, it is very akin to a you know impetuous purchase you do while walking down an aisle. Okay, fine, I'll I'll get it on BNPL. Um, one of the stats I looked at uh, at a conference, um, one of the challenger banks was struggling uh, with the rate of, uh, you know, repayments not being honored on BNPL, especially when it's the third BNPL that the customer has taken out or, or beyond, fourth or fifth, right? So it's not sustainable. And customers losing track of how many BNPLs they've got because you can't see it on the credit profile, like Camilla is saying which is true and it'll be hard to fix the bureaus are working on it but you know the oligopoly moves slowly right um and you lose track so the question then becomes is it sustainable like do you even know that your sneakers are due a payment today and your jacket is due a payment tomorrow and so on and so forth right so i think sustainability is the biggest concern and thirdly uh dan to your question i think the the very fact that both can coexist very amicably, which is credit cards and BNPL, is you know Klarna launching their own credit card product, right? Um, so yeah, I think there's ample to go around, but there's definitely some cannibalization happening. Will it be sustainable? That's a thing to watch out. Okay, interesting. So I think there's a pretty categorical yes that there's still space for challenger credit cards, um, and um, you know the whilst the Barnard Palette space does continue to grow. I want to quickly talk about some other um, competition that, that is certainly coming along along the lines. So we've had a, a Monzo Flex, um, Starlings credit card, you know, not yet launched, but been talked about for, for a few years now. Um, obviously, we've got uh, similar propositions to the, to the Monzo Flex from, from Curve as well. Um, Camilla, perhaps I'll start with you and just ask, um, do you see sort of more competition as well coming from neobanks, um, other neobanks, I should say? Um, and and you know, how do you how are you thinking to differentiate from them? Um, yeah, I definitely think there will be more competition um, from the neobanks. I think um, in the lending space, and um, as we've seen with um, with Monzo and um, Sterling, they'll probably start and focus on those overdrafts, buy now, pay later um, type products and loans, and they're Kind of easier to build and easier to service and so the credit cards will i mean likely come later um and obviously they'll then need to kind of build up those those models that are sustainable um from a credit card perspective so i do see it coming but i, I do think that it's um going to take some time um for it to, to make any real difference and and why do you think you know why do you think all the all these um brands are sort of launching them now i mean is it is it purely it's a a revenue play you know it's it's something that that could be hugely profitable because i guess my understanding and I, and I might be wrong here but you know credit card is is a scale credit cards are a scale game you have to be huge to make to make them work um, I, I think it's all about meeting those customer needs 
Um, and so one of the needs that a customer has is, is credit. Um, they, you know, um, obviously we're also focused on business and, and on that side, it's also a massive thing, helping small businesses manage their cash flow. Um, so I, I think um, part of the reason they're doing it is kind of how they're approaching product is looking at customers' holistic needs. And one of those needs is credit. And so as they've kind of um, really got into a like a run phase with their, um, their current accounts and their other products, they're then looking to add add new products um, and also of course there's the revenue side um, that once you do start to build that up you will start to see um, returns on it. Oh, I think you're on mute. Dan we can't hear you man. Oh, I thought it was me. Apologies there, some reason I had a problem unmuting. Um, so Zara, I wanted to really just ask the same question to you about about neobanks and their sort of um, increasing interest in in offering credit. Um, you know, as I said, I, I, I sort of wonder if it's a it's a revenue play for them, but also, yeah, I, I have this sort of long term question really on on do credit cards make money, and and if so, how, and and is scale a a um, you know very very important part of that. Sure. So, so yeah, I think you know, building on Camilla's points, it's absolutely you know important for some of the neo banks to have that range of, of products and have that di diversification in terms of where they're getting their income stream, but also to, to meet the customer needs. You know, undoubtedly, credit cards are a profitable sector. Um, yes, it is about scale, but it's also about being able to operate in a new way versus some of the traditional players, right? So that you can. Do things more nimbly, more slickly, and to, uh, at a lower a lower cost overall. So, you know, yes, I think it's going to be an important part of the strategy for the neo banks to build out credit cards. Um, but you know, actually, we welcome that. So, you know, I, I don't think you can go into the credit card market or the FS market in general without expecting a, a large amount of competition, whether that's from the new entrants or the incumbents. And, you know, we welcome it because ultimately that keeps us all on our toes, keeps us all developing the best products and services and ultimately makes it great for customers in terms of, you know, what they can access. So, you know, I think it's an exciting time for credit cards in that sense. Okay, very, very good. Um, Ash, obviously, we've talked a little bit about your proposition and, and I guess, you know, trying to be, um, you know, offer something quite different to what's existing. Um, now, you you obviously, um, I'm sure, will also count um, neobanks as as competition. Um, but could you talk a bit about your business model and why you opted to, I guess, yeah, not not sort of pursue the kind of the neobank model, which I which could have been another another route to go down. Um, good question. So I think uh, first of all, being a bank and doing a credit card is a pretty capital intensive product, right? Uh, I think this is a benefit that me and Zara have against Camilla, which is good, uh, right? So we are not a regulated entity. We don't have capital requirements. I mean, we are regulated, but not in the way uh, the banks are. Um, so yeah, I think banks have an uphill battle to launch a credit card product slash overdraft product because the non-utilization also invites capital allocation. So that is, I would say, you know, bank zero, one fintech, which are non-banks. Um, so yeah, clearly we, I don't want to be a bank. I don't plan to be a bank. I've been fortunate enough to be part of three bank authorizations and none of them are enjoying uh, enjoyable experience. Right? It's, it's pretty painful to be a bank. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys know about that. Second is um, our whole mantra is to 
help you with your credit and if if we when we deconstructed the problem of okay how can i get dan access to credit in australia in us anywhere right the simple answer is in order to build your credit i'll have to offer you some credit unfortunately you know it's a it's a chicken and egg scenario now of all the products that i can offer in order to build your credit call it overdraft loans mortgage credit card any of them pretty much everything else gets you into debt apart from credit cards so us offering a credit card is a means to an end and we're not in the business of making interest income and that's why we chose credit card okay very very interesting now i want to ask a bit of a um bit of a curveball question um and i should just say that we're we're about halfway through so we will be going to audience questions in in about 15 minutes so i can see already a lot have come through um so a reminder to our audience to to do ask a question um now if you want it if you want it answered um i try to go through them in the order in which they were asked um so i want to ask about rewards now rewards are obviously something that's been around for forever and um and you know have been very successful in in you know various domains i'm thinking tesco club card etc um and of course uh one of the the big sort of um players in 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 rewards um in credit cards is amex um it's probably the the one thing that could pull me away from using my my neobank or um you know which obviously i i, I really enjoy using from a ux point of view because of that um that benefit you get you know um, flights or, or whatever. Um, now, are any of you interested in in competing for um, customers through rewards? And what do you think of that as as a sort of uh, a domain for for competition in in the credit card world? I don't think really there's that many people currently doing it. So I just wonder what what you thought of that. Um, do you want to start, maybe uh, Camilla? Um, sure. So uh, I guess from our perspective, we're definitely looking into the reward side, but much more on the business credit cards. Um, obviously, that has the more favourable interchange rate. So um, there are the kind of margins there to be able to do it. Um, I do think on the consumer side and um, the kind of players that you do see offering the rewards, so the Amexes, um, et cetera, it's definitely in the super prime segment. So um, it's not necessarily um, across the entire market. It, it's definitely at that top end. Um, and I don't um, see that there are the rewards in the kind of lower end of the market, which um, is where Cash Plus is definitely focused. So um, on the consumer side for us, it's not something um, uh, that would be a focus. Um, but yeah, I think in the, that kind of super prime um, sector and um, with the lower risk customers, um, it's obviously a, a reason to, to switch to um, using that, so it will be interesting to see um, where some of the new challenges go and which sector they target. Um, but with the kind of reduced interchange on the consumer credit cards, there are, I suppose, limited options available um, unless you go the co-run route and then the partner is actually um, helping with some of those rewards. Uh, Zara, uh, for, for you, um, uh, Yaya, is there, a, is there a rewards program in the works? Absolutely. So, so rewards is, is very core to our proposition. So, you know, in addition to making sure that customers have got great access to credit um, and helping with that underserved issue in terms of, as well as lending, you know, across across the board, in addition to the digital servicing, rewards are a, a core part of our proposition. So uh, we already have some rewards uh, on our current portfolios, but we're also building out new rewards programs that really 
help customers to be rewarded in a way that works for them um, by using Credit Well. So we are working with some leading UK brands um, on rewards propositions. And, you know, there's going to be some exciting news in the future. You know, we fundamentally believe that these rewards should uh, be accessible to all types of credit customers. And I'm really working in a way that's easy uh, for them and relevant for them. You know, I think what I have seen in terms of some of the rewards propositions of some of the, the current key players is they're quite complex. You know, you've got to remember to go and save a reward in your portfolio in order to access it. I don't know about you, but I forget to do that all of the time. So, you know, yes, cashback is nice, but you also sometimes want additional propositions. So, so that's very much what we're working through. Can you give us a hint of what those sort of rewards might be, or or is it completely top secret? Uh, it's a bit it's a bit top secret actually, um, but uh, we we are working with some leading brands, so watch this space. More coming soon. Okay, great, great. Um, now, Ash, obviously, um, as I said in my introduction, you know you're you're formerly of Revolut, and um, you know I think Revolut is is pretty unique in offering sort of cashback in crypto. Um, you know, really, and, and I think has definitely um, cottoned on to the to the rewards trend. Um, will rewards be a, a, a central part of, of pillar, um, a pillar of pillar? Um, and yeah, uh, good. And, yeah and, and obviously, now that I've mentioned crypto, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on 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 sort of utilizing that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so two very loaded questions, right? So rewards are two types, right? First is merchant funded and second is issuer funded. Issuer funded is dead, like Camilla said. 30 bips, you don't make anything, right? So issuer funded rewards are dead because there's only one giant in the room which can do it, which is Alex, right? Uh, because they can still get away with charging two and 3%, right? So so let's, let's be very clear. Issuer rewards are dead, right? It just won't work, right? Coming to merchant rewards, which is where Zara is mentioning uh, and even Camilla mentioned, which is we you do fruitful partnerships with you know brands and co-brands and offers where you have a revenue share model, and that then helps both parties, right? So, for example, you know Klarna does a reward and you know is funneling back the revenue that they make from the merchant, not the interchange, to be clear. Um, you know, someone else does a reward again, funneling back the revenue, uh, which is a revenue share model, really. So I think revenue share model will work. Uh, it works already, you know, as proven by so many of them, and and revenue as well. Um, and yeah, and that's why I think a few of the other competitors, especially in in challenger credit cards, Dan, as you know, um, I don't think they will work just on reward basis because you're up against Amex, and Amex has got the legal benefit which is you cannot compete with an interchange. So that's where we are. Uh, coming back to crypto, I mean, I, we love crypto and I think crypto can solve many problems. And funny enough, the genesis of Pillar was actually crypto, uh, but that's a long story. Uh, no, we are, um, we are definitely aware of it. Um, we are partnering, uh, not partnering, I would say, um, we're thinking of a few interesting things on crypto. Um, but yeah, it's for further down the line, not now. Okay, well, we'll save we'll save the um, the origin the crypto origin story for another time, uh, yes. or if we have some some time left over. But um, I just have one question really left before we move to to audience questions, and that's on and I guess you know crypto might be an answer to to one of these. Um, 
to, to, to one of your answers. Um, but um, let's say, you know, five years, 10 years down the line, um, quite hard to imagine, I suppose. But um, what emerging technology do you think will have the biggest impact on what you do? Um, could be Web3, crypto, as you mentioned, open banking. Um, Camilla, could I, could I start with you? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I definitely think open banking is going to make a big difference to the lending process. Um, obviously, we've seen some adoption growing um, in some of the acquisition channels, uh, but it's very early days still. So I think there's still a lot of potential um, for, for that to grow and, and for that usage to make a really, really big impact. Um, probably another thing I'd just uh, call on is the kind of credit as a service model, um, which I think we've also um, seen start to gain some traction. Um, and I think that will be interesting to see where it goes in terms of um, kind of opening up some doors for people to enter the market more easily. And um, I think that plays into something Ash said earlier about the, the technology barriers um, are being reduced um, just more generally um, for entry into credit cards. So um, I, I think that side will also um, open up the market a little. Okay, interesting. And, and you mentioned open banking. Would that be would that be the sort of direct thing that would um, you know, I guess, work to improve that underserved market, you know, making, I guess, you know, making it easier to lend to lend to people, you know, thin credit bars, et cetera, or, or were you thinking that in other ways? Uh, yeah, in the, in the first instance, and I think the kind of existing use case for it is absolutely um, to extend those affordability checks to get better data and um, to be able to um, lend in a kind of, um, hopefully to more people, but it, to the right people in a better way. Um, using extra data and, and it's not just the open banking data there are other data sources um, that, that will be coming available that I think will also feed into that decisioning process and, and just continue to improve that to open up um, credit to some people that um, maybe it's not available to today. Okay um, Zara what, what about you what do you what tech do you think is going to have the, the emerging yeah. sort of the biggest Wait. Yeah, so building on um, Miller's point, actually, so I think it's interesting that as an industry, we're starting to explore how open banking can be used in other areas besides just lending. So, you know, one of the use cases that I'm particularly interested in is, is how we support customers in financial difficulties. Um, so things like completing an income and expenditure has been an, an age-long problem for customers. You know, it's a lengthy process. It's an intensive. Every creditor requires their own, right? So having the ability to use something like open banking to help with the pre-population, hugely helpful. You know, and I hope that then as an industry, we move towards, could we accept that one time and use it in multiple places? You know, it's gonna require not only a shift in how we use the data and the technology, but also how we as an industry are kind of willing to put the customer first and hopefully make things as easy as possible. So I think there's gonna be advancements like that. Um, I also think, you know, we're going to continue to advance in terms of how we use data to uh, verify identification, which will keep making the application process slicker and slicker. You know, we already have a process that literally lasts minutes, but at a core of it is that that strong IDMB. Um, you know, and I think that will ultimately make it easier for customers to ask, access credit. It should make it more difficult for fraudsters. Uh, you know, I think some of the, the technology as well that Ash was talking about is, is helping us as an industry to kind of clamp down on, on fraud even further. So you know, I think there's lots of uh, interesting things on the horizon that are going to keep improving the proposition for customers and, and make it easier for the, the industry to be doing the right thing. Okay, uh, really, really interesting.
Um, Ash, you've obviously already touched on on, on crypto, but is there any other um, sort of emerging tech that you think is going to going to have a really big impact on, on what you're doing? Yeah, so just doubling down on what Sarah is saying, uh, focusing on ID. Yes, the self-sovereign ID needs to happen. It's a question of when, not if. It will happen sometime, right? So that that's a big, big technological leap we will take. Hopefully, the next five to ten years, right? Uh, hopefully, five. Second uh, big one that we are way, way behind, and I'm talking about UK because otherwise it's a pretty broad question, right? Um, so if if you look at UK and US specifically, bank to bank payments, that's that's again an eventuality. It's a question of if, not when. Um, uh, sorry, when not if it, it needs to happen, we are way way behind. Uh, at least 10, 10 years behind other countries, right? And uh, thirdly, which is my favorite, is uh, you know Apple opening up the NFC tag for peer to peer payments, bypassing Visa and Mastercard. That changes the game, right? So, and and I think the common thread across all these significant anticipated changes are they are all behavior changing, right? Like Camilla said, open banking. Yes, it's behavior changing. You can share your open banking transactions to anyone. Sovereign identity, behavior changing. You can just tap your phone and buy whatever you want, a house, right? Um, and the same will happen with you know your NFC and phone changing. I can just tap my phone to Zara and transfer the money without anyone else taking a cut. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, these would be the key ones I'm definitely looking out for. Okay, I, I you know love to explore several of those, and um, you know maybe a few. A few of those will will pop up again in our in our audience questions. Now, I just want to very very quickly open a question up to the floor. Which um, again, I want to just share a tiny personal experience, which is um, I won't name the credit card, um, but it's a big one. But I, I I had one, you know, maybe over ten years ago. I got one charge for twelve pounds or something like that. I missed the you know I missed the payment. I was I was um, you know not not paying attention, and they recently got in contact with me and. Um, and said, actually, we shouldn't have charged you £12. And they sent me a, um, well, they sent a check, but they, they sent me a link so that I could get £100 back from this um, from this charge because it had been over 10 years. Like, absolutely incredible. You know, almost, I, you know, I really thought it was a scam of some kind at first, but, but it wasn't. So um, what that really led me to think about was, you know, charges, fees, et cetera. I think probably these are the things that, that give credit cards... Um, you know, maybe a bit of an image problem historically. Um, overall, let's say also in our sort of five, 10 year time frame, do you think we could see fees um, sort of come down, I guess, ultimately, the amount you kind of pay, the amount the credit card industry makes um, as a sort of aggregate amount from, from interest and fees, do you think we might see that come down? And that's the question to whoever wants to take it. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's a very, uh, very. I'll go in. I'll, I'll go in first, right? Being the fintech, which is which is still under uh, under wraps, right? Yes, it will. Uh, it has to, right? Um, I think we all, as issuers, need to take responsibility for better outcomes for the customer. Uh, had he had been charged twelve pound late fee, you know, for missing a payment, that we should have tried our best to remind you of that. And of course, you can still choose to ignore us. Um, in which case, you know, the 12 pound is justified because again, we are trying to help you help yourself by having a financial uh, incentive to pay on time. So having said that, we need to be more, you know, consumer focused. We need to educate them. We need to give them the right prompts. You know, just like your example, why don't the issuers 
decline the first ATM transaction on a credit card? They don't, right? Because it makes them shit ton of money. Um, and at the same time, the credit score of the consumer gets hammered because they've just taken cash out on a credit card. And they might have done a mistake. If you look at HSBC Premier debit on a credit card, it looks exactly the same. So when I'm drunk, typically on a Friday night, and if I just put a credit card instead of a debit card, I'm done with, right? So I think it's those sneaky fees, those complications which trip you up, genuinely need to be thought through in the consumer's interest. Um, yes, it means some let go of revenue, but in the long run, if the customer is happy, you should be happier. Interesting, interesting. Um, anyone want to sort of briefly add to that before we move to audience questions? Yeah, yeah, just to say, I fully agree, actually, well. Um, no, I think that responsibility to communicate well with customers and also to educate them, really, and, and nudge them in the right direction is hugely important. And I, I think it's one of the things that, as an industry, we can do much more of. Um, but also where I think, you know, having a, a more digital proposition is, is going to be hugely powerful um, because we can hopefully keep customers in the loop and let them know what's coming up. You know, that coupled with encouraging them and, and as part of the onboarding process and encouraging them to make automatic payments. So, you know, moving away from some of the, the legacy ways of, of working, all those behavior nudges hopefully help them to be, you know, in control, have the power to be on, on top of their account management. So, you know, I think that's going to change dramatically. And therefore, yes, I hope very much that, that fees and charges reduce as a result. Okay. Yeah, and, and just to add, I mean, we are seeing some of those um, over-limit charges um, uh, not be applied anymore, so um, that that is becoming more common. Um, yeah, um, so I think uh, it's going in the right direction, and, and that education piece that Zara mentioned is, is absolutely key. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And do you think, do you think, Camilla, that is, like, from, I guess, um, do you think that's being driven by competition? Uh, yes, definitely. I think if, if, um, if a consumer sees that uh, one issue isn't charging, if you go over limit, that obviously is a better proposition for them. So um, I think that is definitely being driven by competition. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, let, let's go to audience questions. Um, we, I, you know, it's really, really nice to to get to as many as we can. So I just will ask um, our, our expert panelists to to maybe give brief, brief answers, um, perhaps for these ones, just so we can get to as many as possible. So first up, we have a question on um, buy now, pay later. Is there a potential risk during a downturn that the um, into the cash flow of these companies? Um, this person says, you know, they've yet to be tested. I guess, you know, to some extent, we might say the pandemic has been a bit of a test, but um, I guess it was also kind of a good thing. Um, and they say, in addition, um, there are questions on who is collecting uh, debt and whether the debt is then sold onto third-party agencies who are far removed from the glossy apps. Um, who wants to to ask that um, answer that question on the potential for, um, I guess, cash flow issues during a downturn? Uh, okay, I'll pick uh, Zara. <laughs> no one's forthcoming. Yeah, so I mean, you know, a lot of it is dependent on the the company themselves directly. Um, you know, I guess whilst there's not as as much regulation for this sector, I think people are very aware of, of what it takes to to run a profitable lending company so it's difficult to comment on you know the the, the players directly um but I, I think obviously them being well on top of that and also 
you know, when it comes to collections, doing things absolutely in a way that they can be proud of is, is hugely important. So yeah, that, that's my thoughts on that. Okay, very interesting. Let's let's move to another question because we've also talked quite a bit about binary pay later. Um, someone asks uh, about sort of large banks. Obviously, um, Ash and Zara, you've both um, got experience uh, at Barclays. Um, what do you see these bigger banks um, doing to sort of stem the the flow of um, of customers to neo banks? And what actions and innovations are they doing to counter? Um, the rise in in the neo banking experience. Um, yeah, what anyone got any thoughts on on that or any sort of thing they can they can add? I think the writing is on the wall, right? Which is innovate, 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 right? Um, and that means getting rid of you know systems that the old uh, giants are hooked up to. And I think that's the best thing that can happen to us, which is fintechs, right? You guys continue doing what you are doing. You know, uh, to do a statement change, it takes 12 months and a million pound, right? We can do that in one hour, costing nothing. So I think that is the unfair advantage that fintechs have. And the reality is, like, banks need to innovate, right? Um, you see, you have started seeing some, but there's, the delta is still huge. Yeah, and just to add to Ash's comment, you know, totally agree. I mean, I think that's the real competitive advantage that, that fintechs have, right? The agility and the pace that we can move at is, is phenomenal, right? Because we don't have to worry ourselves with integrating into old tech stacks, you know, divesting of products, restructuring teams. We can focus all of our time, energy and investment on building the future and building the new. And, you know, that combined with a real passion to do things differently and get it right for customers is what I think makes it really exciting. Okay. But, but you know, just so returning to the question, I guess, like, you know, is there anything that the big banks have that, that I don't know, you guys are like, oh, we, you know, we can't really compete, compete on that front. Is it, you know, I guess, scale or marketing, you know, what's, yeah, what are their, do they have any advantages at the moment? I mean, obviously- yeah, go on. Go for it, Ash. <laughs> uh, sorry, Zara. Um, yes, quite a few. Like cheap cost of capital, we can't compete with that. Um, they've got big pockets through, you know, throw money at the problem, uh, which not always works. Um, so yeah, I think these were the two huge pockets and uh, cheap cost of capital. Interesting. And this next question, uh, well, it starts off by saying thank you for the super insightful conversation. So um, thank you to all our panelists. Um, they ask, uh, do you think challenger credit card providers could offer client solutions aimed at alleviating issues arising from high inflation? Um, if yes, obviously a very pertinent question. If yes, then what kind of role could challengers play there and with what solutions? Um, does anyone have a, a, um, any thoughts on, on helping alleviate the issues arising from high inflation? I feel like this is a, an open banking, potentially an open banking uh, sort of angle. But uh, no, okay. I mean, there are uh, many angles. Sorry, I'll, I'll go okay. uh, because I'm, 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 I feel like I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the customer quite a bit, uh, which is right. Um, yes, fintechs can do a lot of things, right? Um, for example, I love what Updraft is doing. They're trying to figure out what what is it that you're paying, and they refinance into a cheaper product. So why shouldn't all the banks do it, right? It's it's hard. 
uh, it is hard. Like I said, you know, uh, as hard it is to calculate the APR of a product, it is even more harder to figure out what are the different APRs or different products you've got and, and do a debt consolidation. Um, okay, that's one giant in the room, which still needs to be figured out. Uh, thankfully, the regulators are very permissible of uh, and you know a, a customer friendly uh, offering so we sh someone should definitely tackle that and we have also got plans to tackle that um, and i think again if i come back to the core of the problem uh, you empower the customer by letting them know this is what they're doing right i think the first step is okay done you have paid 100 quid in amex interest over the past 12 months that's a huge strong message instead of you adding up 12 month statements and still getting nowhere right so the annual statement helps but a consolidated view of your financing also helps okay um there we're going to return to to buy now pay later <laughs> apologies if it's if it's getting a bit um a bit samey but i think this is a this is a good uh sort of augmentation of the last question as well so uh, high street banks i think it's no secret are are clearly um Sort of looking or, or starting to enter buy now pay later sort of installments um and i think we've had nat west the only the only sort of um <clears throat> public uh example of that but i think it's very fair to say that we'll see more um in the coming months um this person asks uh with that sort of happening um happening uh do you feel this can work or does it become over complicated for the customer um, and is it a trend we'll continue to see, I guess, more banks competing with, with buy now, pay later? Um, any thoughts on that? Um, uh, Zara, Camilla, do you, want, do you want to go for that? Yeah, again, I think it's you know, a hugely expanding part of the market, isn't it? It's a popular product. So I think it's natural to expect that there's going to be more competition and, and launches in terms of buy now, pay later. You know, I, I think the difference obviously is it's a, a different type of product. It needs type of uh, system set up to enable it um, but I think the sweet spot is absolutely going to be you know lenders who can have affordability in mind for customers and offer them that suite of products whether it's credit cards buy now pay later other types of consumer finance but do it in a way that makes it that for example it is one monthly payment rather than multiple things to remember across a month I think that's going to be the, the the sweet spot of it all, really, because ultimately that's what's going to make it easy for customers and and help to keep customers, you know, up to date in terms of their financial health. Okay, um, interesting. Um, someone just asked a very very simple question. I think we touched on it a little bit, but but where do where do our panelists see the role of card schemes in the future? Um, I don't think they're, they're going away anytime soon, but I think there are obviously many more options coming into play. So you've obviously got the payments and via open banking um, that are starting to gain some traction. Um, we're also looking to launch on our um, credit card actual outbound faster payments and from credit balance as well. And so that there are multiple ways to kind of use and spend your credit. So, I mean, of course, customer behavior is to use cards and, and that's not going to change overnight in any way. But I do think that it, it will reduce over time. Mm. Okay. Um, now, this was actually our first question. So sincere apologies to, to the person who asked it. I, I, I slightly missed it somehow. I'm not sure how I did that. Um, but it's a good question. Um, so traditional acquisition for credit card has been through cross-selling from banks um, or um, 
balanced transfers. I think, you know, we talked about increasing competition, you know, clearly um, in the last sort of 20 years, you know, competitive balanced transfer has been has been a big thing. Um, new entrants don't have that customer database to penetrate. Um, and obviously funding costs are, you know, very high um, if you want to compete in the balanced transfer um, game. Um, how do you acquire 5 million customers from scratch is the question. <laughs> Um, anyway, any thoughts on that? I feel like that you know that's probably uh, probably something very pertinent to Ash. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, one answer is you know uh, follow Zara's model, splash out cash and buy a portfolio, right? <laughs> Which is probably not uh, not a trick that we want to use. Um, and I think the gentleman or woman who's asked the question has answered the question themselves, right? Which is do not play in the balanced transfer place, right? You cannot afford it, and that's absolutely fair. Uh, we are not offering balance transfers. We are not offering three months split out the payment because we can't afford it. Um, so yeah, the answer then lies in solving a pain point which affects customers and they're happy to pay for it, right? Uh, empowering them with information, knowledge, uh, a good view of their finances uh, and doing exactly what the big banks have not been able to do. At their own game right so which is uh, this is where fintech kind of takes that quantum leap of okay we are all about the customer we are trying to empower them yes we won't solve uh, you know your balance transfer problems because we can't afford it yet and again it's a chicken and egg problem the moment you get to scale for example at revolute yes our, our cost of funding was pretty close to a bank uh, because we are a big 15 million customer uh, you know non-bank so it's a chicken and egg. Uh, I think the key is how to get the egg rolling first, uh, solve a problem, get the egg rolling first, and then get to a chicken. Okay, very interesting. Um, next question is: Why do banks still rely on monthly payment on a on a monthly payment model for credit cards? Um, anyone want to take that? Is it is it is it uh, you know related to the sort of lower cost of capital, perhaps, or? It's uh, two things, sorry, and I'm being completely anti-bank, which is not good, right? I'm surrounded by a few ex-bankers. Um, tech stack, that's the biggest one. Okay. Um, go, go speak to the two biggest credit card statement providers or whatever you call it, you know, processors, um, system of records. They will struggle to update the system. They still run on mainframe. Okay, very, very good. And of course, and of course, the customer behavior of getting paid every month, which is standard in the UK, but non-standard in the US. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so we, we have discussed uh, sort of current liquidity in the market um, and, and how that's, I guess, supported challenges entering the market. Um, this question asks specifically about, you know, the changing macro environment, which we haven't talked about that much, but obviously we did mention in higher inflation. Um, you know, we've obviously had the Fed raise um, rates yesterday, and I think Bank of England almost certainly will today. Um, does the changing macro environment, this person asks, mean that there's an upper, there's an upcoming blocker to further expansion? Um, who wants to, to, to tackle that one? Uh, Zara? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't see it as a blocker. I see it's, you know, it's obviously something that we've got a close eye on, but I actually think it's going to drive out more customer needs for better transparency, better digital services, 
you know, great cost-effective products. Um, so therefore, you know, in that sense, see it more of an opportunity than a, a barrier. Okay. Okay, very good. Anyone want a, a final uh, final word on that? I think we're we're swiftly running out of time. Oh yeah, I mean, just reiterating. I think uh, yes, there will be uh, certain headwinds. Even the world is the world is facing headwinds, so we will too. But uh, I think the answer lies in the fact that yes, if you are building something which customers want, there is no dearth of liquidity for such companies. Okay, interesting. Um, well, look, we we got through a load of questions. Actually, I'm quite impressed. Well done to our panelists. I think we got at least eight or nine done. Um, sincere apologies, we didn't get to, to nearly all of them. Um, there were there were a lot, um, which I think you know really is a testament to, to a really interesting discussion um, today. And so, thank you very very much um, to our audience, of course. And um, we had uh, loads of really good questions actually. So, thank you for that. Um, And of course, a very big thank you to our expert panelists, Zara, Camilla, Ash. Thank you very much um, for today's discussion. It was super interesting. Um, my colleague Oliver Smith will be back uh, on June 1st, where he'll be asking, is buy now, pay later sustainable? Um, so that's at the same time, 11 a.m. on June 1st. Uh, and that just leaves me to say thank you very much um, for uh, attending. And um, you can, and just a reminder that you can register for our next webinar um, on Bright Talk channel as well, um, or subscribe to the podcast to get them delivered directly to your smartphone. Thank you very much.